Nichols, will you stand? Lord, we're just so grateful to be called into your presence this morning. We ask that you just get rid of all our anxieties, everything that's weighing heavy on us this week, today, just all the things that we're holding on to. Help us to let go of that. Take over and just be with us here this morning in this service. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus said, the first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart, I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grants you absolute remission of all your sin, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit.
Lord be with you. Look. <laughs>
Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we in the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Praise be to God. guys all set to learn a lot of neat stuff. Amen. We pray also, Lord, for the teachers who teach these children every Sunday. Lord, just be with them in a special way and just infuse them with understanding of your love, your amazing love and righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning's first lesson comes from Nehemiah, chapter 8. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday, before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also the Levites helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, 
said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is Psalm 19. Please respond by the half verse. The heavens declare the glory of God. Day unto day utters speech. There is not speech nor language. Their line has gone out through all the earth. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now, and will be forever. Amen. This morning's second lesson is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, beginning chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Greeks or Jews, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. 
And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Glory be to thee, O Lord. St. Luke chapter 4 beginning in verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was... He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. We'll open with a word of prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. So, this is interesting, the way that we celebrate this season of our year, because if you don't know, we're in the season of Epiphany. But with our Feast of Our Lord Giver of Life last Sunday, we really haven't talked about Epiphany yet. And What's important about Epiphany? Epiphany is about the revelation that the story of this world is actually the story of Jesus. That everything that we understand about history and culture and humanity is actually centered on the person of Jesus Christ. That the story of God becoming man, coming and living as one of us, healing the brokenhearted, setting at liberty the captives, revealing sight to the blind, that that's actually the central story of our life, of the world, of all of reality. That at the center of reality, no matter how it looks, is actually a loving God who wants you to live in proper relationship with Him and with one another. And that ultimately, because of His work, all shall be good. All shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Now, if you look out on the world and you see the stories that we tell in media, in Hollywood, uh, on the university campuses, the stories that come out from the government and policies, that's not the story everybody's telling. They're not talking about the story of God become man, that we might have life and life abundantly. 
The story sounds quite a bit different, and I think you know that the story is bloodshed and hate and strife and envy and greed and scandal and fear. That's the story that is almost drowning out all other voices if you pay attention to the media, if you pay attention to the government, if you pay attention to the things that are coming out. With rare exceptions, that's the story that people want us all to hear nowadays. I have some theories about why that's motivating. Like, who would want to tell a story of fear and violence and strife? I have, I have sto- ideas about that, but I actually wanted to take a little journey and go and see, how did we get to a place where 200 years ago, it would be unheard of in the West to meet people on mass scales who didn't go to church on Sunday morning. And while I'm not going to give you a history lesson of the past 200 years, because I'm definitely not qualified, there's people in this room who could do much better, like Hannah over here, history teacher extraordinaire, but I do want to touch on a couple of things that I think are important to understand what's going on in the world. Because if you're not careful, you might start to believe the stories that are being told around us. If, you, if you're not careful, you might start to buy into the fear and the strife and the anger that's being sold at every street corner. Metaphorically speaking, we only go online to find our information nowadays. But we need to understand where we're at in order to understand what God is saying to us. And I actually think when we understand where we're at, we will relate more fully to what's going on in our scriptures today. I'm going to start with a really uplifting quote, probably one of the most quoted items in all of modern history, one of the most quoted texts. And it starts like this, God is dead. God remains dead, and we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderer of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe the blood from us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement? What sacred games shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? It kind of reads like scripture. There's kind of this prophetic edge to what Nietzsche wrote so long ago that people have been talking about. In the 1800s, Nietzsche wrote something that predicted what was going to happen in the centuries that followed. That is mass exodus from church, a a growing group of agnostic atheists, of secular humanists, of people who didn't look to God for the answers, but actually looked to humanity, technology, science. Trust the science. The technology will save us. The government will save us. Why can't we all just get along and make this utopia happen? Now, I'm not going to break down all of the various philosophies and things, but there's some significant moments that you know of, right? Shortly after that, we, the world was plunged into two world wars. And one of the chief players in those world wars was the idea that we could build a utopia without God. The idea that if man was advanced enough, they could actually build a society where there was no more war, no more hate, no more deprivation. That played a huge role in causing these world wars. Instead of looking to God as our 
Savior, to Jesus, a carpenter who died for us. We look to ourselves, our technology, our science. And in fact, the Nazis, uh, Nietzsche was like their scripture text. The goal of the Nazis was to create the Ubermensch, which was Nietzsche's answer to the crisis. God is dead. What should we do? We should become gods. We should become Ubermensch, the Uberman, the Superman. That's what we're going to have to do to account for this God. Now, Nietzsche never believed that God was a real metaphysical entity. He thought ultimately that God was a, a collective enterprise and delusion. And that really, the tragedy wasn't that God was dead. The tragedy was we don't have an answer to reply to this unifying idea of God. But the tragedy is actually far worse because what really happened is the real God, the God that we love, the God that we worship, all of a sudden tens of thousands of people found it normal to leave the trust of him. Now I'm not saying that there was some Christian golden age before our modern culture, but I do think it's telling to note when you go to school or when you go to work, how many people are openly Christian who go to church on Sundays? Doesn't feel like a lot. Okay, I work at house construction, so quite a few of my people are in this room who work with me. But when I worked in the restaurant industry, when I went to schools, wasn't a lot of people. And that, that was unheard of at one point. But then we had these things that led to these world wars, and ultimately the West, what we're a part of, suffered a crisis where they said, how can we still trust God in the face of millions of deaths, in the face of the evil of the Holocaust, in the face of the suffering and the travesty of atomic warfare? How can we still hold on to these, as they saw them, maybe naive beliefs in a God who loves us? And then we had the postmodernists come in and tell us that actually the answer is to say that nothing has meaning. That nothing is actually meaning. The only thing that we've been doing is we've been playing games of power. Maybe that sounds familiar to you because that's where terms like white privilege come up. That's where the patriarchy came from. That's where live your truth comes from. Is that actually we're just playing games of power and that we're all against one another. And whoever has the most power gets to decide what truth is. There's a radical shift in our culture that we are dealing with right now, the results of. And it's, it's like what Nietzsche said, what festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? If you invent, if you look at the world today and you look at cancel culture, I'm sure you've heard, some, you've heard of somebody who's been canceled because they said the wrong thing that violated the sacred game that we're all playing of political correctness, of diversity, inclusion, and equity. We're playing these new holy games, these, uh, this religion that at the heart doesn't have Jesus Christ, but actually has, at the heart has, we're making ourselves God. We're going to make the perfect society. Now, you may be thinking, okay, this is a little bit far afield for a sermon on a Sunday morning, and I feel the exact same way. But I do think it's important. I think it actually leads us to something that I want us all to understand, that I hope God can speak to us about. Because what we're looking at is we're looking at a culture that has lost its central story, that needs an epiphany of who God in Jesus Christ is more than ever. Ever since the beginning of Christianity, there has never been such an exodus away from the Christian church as there has been in the past 200 years. Now, 
we're largely talking about the West because there are places around the world where Christianity is growing at a rate that has never been seen before. So please do not lose hope. (laughs) This story is still transforming lives all over the world. It's transformed all of our lives. But be aware that we're in a place where more than ever we see people that are captives that need to be set free. This might remind you of what we were just reading in our gospel lesson because I did kind of pull it from there. But we do have people who are captives to anxiety, depression, deceit, lust of the flesh, gluttony, covetousness. It's actually considered somewhat of a virtue to talk about how jealous you are of the rich. If only I had that. There's like this this new humble brag thing that's like, oh yeah, well, they are so wealthy and they have so much more than I'll ever have. I have no ability to get there. There's a captivity in this that really revolves around lies. Because if you knew God and Jesus Christ who came that you might have life and life abundantly, then what are you jealous of? Your life that you're living right now is the one that God came and died that you might live fully. Not somebody else's life. Not somebody else's supposed material benefits or privileges. As we're analyzing and getting obsessed with talking about who has more than one another, let's remember that what Jesus came to do was to empty himself. That those around him might have life and life abundantly. Maybe we're focusing on the wrong problem. Let's make sure everybody has everything. No, let's instead look to serve one another as Christ served us. Let's lay our lives down for one another. That's where the true meaning lies. Because ultimately, as I read through some of these things, the big lie that we've all been sold is that there could be any fulfillment, any joy, any peace outside of Jesus Christ and what he offers. The way of the cross, the way of resurrection, So when we read through this and we read the gospel lesson, I was thinking, what is important when Jesus is talking to these people about the fact that he's going to set the captives free? Well, there's a lot of people that we can see in our lives, and if you pay attention to those around you who are in captivity, who need Jesus to set them free. And then he's going to give sight to the blind. Well, we see people who are blind to goodness, blind to beauty, We see porn sites being viciously defended as somehow paragons of our modern era of virtue. When somebody comes out against what they're doing, there's actually a backlash in our culture saying, oh, that's you're trying to oppress us by bringing your religious idea of what the world should look like and trying to outlaw the freedoms that we have. There's a blindness there. We see it most obviously in abortion being marketed as a badge of honor. You should be proud of your abortion. Oh man, what a tragedy. How blind do you have to be? We see oppression being waved about as a banner to show how amazing you are. We call them sometimes jokingly the oppression Olympics, where people are are looking for ways to outperform one another in the category of being a victim or being oppressed. We see truly oppressed people who are oppressed about their delusions regarding sex and gender. And yet we're supposed to championing these people who have these spiritual oppressions going on in their life. And all the while, while all of this is happening, we have government and technology and entertainment all seeking to 
more and more use manipulative messaging to oppress the very people that they're supposed to be serving. Now, I say all this to tell you that we've got to open our eyes. Not to say that you should be afraid, you should be very afraid, look at all this bad stuff that's happening, but actually to say how much more so are we called to live like Jesus in this culture, in this day and age. That there are people who actually need you and you and you to give them hope and courage and life. That every interaction that we have in our life is an opportunity to just love somebody. That everybody we meet is facing this same culture that is dealing with blindness, oppression, captivity, and that just a word of life and encouragement to them could mean the difference in their life. That we're actually called to be like Jesus and follow him in his mission. And then this is actually my favorite to bring up. We're told that the world is ending. What did Jesus say in the gospel today? He came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Instead, we're told, well, which one was worse, 2020 or 2021? Because they've all been the worst years we've ever had in the history of the world, and you should feel awful. Now, I haven't heard it said explicitly that way, but that's the message that we've been told on social media and in our media. It's not the acceptable year of the Lord. It's the worst. We have the pandemic. People are dying. The world is blowing up. I watched this comedian on uh, YouTube, Julie Nolke. She's somewhat funny, but she has this thing where she's explaining the pandemic to her past self. And she's got like six of them now. And the first one was funny. She's talking about like all the things that are going crazy. And they're like, oh, no, that could never happen. We could have never imagined. But the sixth one is just sad. Because all she's doing is trying to highlight how awful the world is today. Yeah, the climate is going. The world's going to end. The pandemic's still happening. We're two years in. and We don't see any end in sight. And she's trying to make this as like some sort of joke. But the underlying message is the one that we are called to stand against. No, it is not the worst year in the history of the world. It is the acceptable year of the Lord. That didn't just happen when Jesus came and walked the earth. Because you know when he left, he said he would never leave us. That he's actually with us, empowering us in the same spirit that was on him to proclaim good news to the poor, to set at liberty the captives, to bring sight to the blind, is in us. And we're called to go out and then do that in the world. And brokenhearted people are offered no comfort. He came to heal the brokenhearted. Well, brokenhearted people are offered no comfort because there is no answer in science, in secular philosophy, for a broken heart. Make the most of your life. That's just not good enough when you're facing a, a broken heart. Do you know what is good enough? That Jesus Christ, God, became man, dwelt among us, and actually took our suffering with him to the cross, that he might have fellowship with us in our suffering. That you are not alone. There's so many people who have broken hearts who need to know that they're just not, not alone. And in the midst of all of that, we have this response to COVID-19 that has told everybody, stay home, don't spend any time with your loved ones, don't engage, disconnect. If you're going to engage, put a screen between you and the other person. And if you get infected with COVID, blame the person you just hung out with. Duh. That's going to build a really healthy society. 
No, what it's going to do is it's going to keep those people who have broken hearts in the midst of losing loved ones, in the midst of the common tragedies and malevolence that we encounter in the world, it's going to keep them isolated and alone. And yet each of us have the power to break somebody else's solitude. Who in your life needs you to break through their solitude and say, you're not alone? That's what Jesus did to heal the brokenhearted as he entered into their suffering. He didn't give them a book with a map of how to fix themselves. He came as a person and suffered alongside them. So as I kind of go through and parallel all of these things that Jesus came to fix, that Jesus came to heal, that Jesus came to contradict, I want to look at the Ezra passage this morning because I love this passage. It's, it really is a fascinating study and what it means to be in a culture like ours and then to realize that there's a bigger story, to have an epiphany that there's a bigger story. Because what happened to the Israelites before we get to this Ezra passage that we read this morning is that their city had been sacked. They had been taken captives and slaves, much like much of our culture has in their ideology. They've become slaves to their ideologies. Israelites were actual slaves for 400 years before this. And they had lost touch with their organizing story, the narrative that had been told since the beginning of their people about a God who loved them, who was coming to save them. They didn't know any of that. Instead, they went after other gods. It's so similar to ours, right? You just rename their gods. It's not Baal. It's uh, Facebook. It's not uh, Marduk. It's greed, gluttony. Whatever you... I, I saw this. Okay, so there's a commercial going around. It's really silly where a girl drops her phone in a toilet, a gross toilet in a public bathroom, and she goes in and she grabs it, and it's like, what are you so addicted to that you do awful things to recover it or something like that? There's a truth there. I don't know what the commercial's for, honestly, but I do know that it made an impression on me. We have our own set of idols that we've turned to. We want the government to save us. We want the media to save us. We want to be entertained out of our mystery, out of our misery, as Father Powell brought up, amusing ourselves to death. We have so many things that we turn to. And Israel's in that same place when we enter this story. They've now had a chance to go out of their captivity and return to Jerusalem by God's divine orchestration. He can even move through evil governments, believe it or not, everyone. Take hope, take heart. Because that's how he got Israel out of their slavery. God moved on their behalf, and then they found the book of the law. And so they, they're, they're doing this ceremony, and a couple of things happen. Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Okay, a couple miracles happened leading up to this proclamation. First of all, they got up and they read the book of the law of Moses, so Deuteronomy, you know, that gripping text. And hundreds of people stood on their feet for hours and listened. That's pretty miraculous. There's a reason why I let you guys sit. 
Because I know that I don't have the ability to keep you engaged for that long while standing. There's a miracle that's happening because what's happening? The Spirit of the Lord, the same one who was on Jesus, the same one who lives in you, fell in that place. And there was an epiphany as they read the words of the law. The second miracle is that it brought them to weeping repentance. Why are they crying as the law is read? Because they're seeing in themselves that they're so far from where God had called them to be. That actually by serving other gods, they brought the misery that they were experiencing on themselves. And so what God is doing is he's convicting them of their sin. He's showing them a better way. He's giving them an epiphany that their lives should actually be oriented around God and his purposes. And at that same moment, Nehemiah, Ezra, the Levites, together, the leadership, came forward and said, actually, there's one more step. First, you have to recognize your inadequacy. You have to humble yourself before God. You have to repent. But there's more to it. There's actually a celebration that can take place once that's occurred. He calls on them and he says, don't weep, for you have understood the word of the Lord. Why is it a joy to understand the law of the Lord? Because everything that we've been talking about this whole time that's going on in our culture, the fear-mongering, the anger, the hate, the answer to that is actually, Ruby's been saying that a lot lately. Anytime we do anything wrong, she goes, actually, it's this way. And I love that. That's how I hear it in my head. Actually, the world is oriented around a person. God made man, Jesus Christ. And actually, we're going to see a victory because it's already been paid for on the cross. And actually, we get to live in righteousness, peace, and joy. We get to bring the kingdom of God into our lives. That actually, although you were walking in slavery, although you're right to weep in repentance, there is joy to be found. There is hope. There is nothing more hopeful than to find somebody. You imagine a drug addict who's at the end of the rope. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to get healthy. And you come up and you say, Jesus loves you and came that you might have life and life abundantly. And at that moment when they're at the end of themselves, you're told, yes, you messed up, but that's not the end of the story. Now, then you invite them to walk the way of the cross because it's not over but you have hope for the first time in so long. They get told that the lie that they're captive to is actually answered in the person of Jesus Christ and that the truth will set them free. Every one of us have had that moment where we're struggling with sin in our life and somebody speaks a word that might at that moment not be what you want to hear. But as God moves on your heart, you realize, oh, this is actually not condemnation, but invitation to walk in freedom. So that's what Ezra and Nehemiah are telling the people is actually this is not so that you might feel condemned and feel bad about yourselves. When we look at the culture, we look at how it's infiltrated our families, how we may have bought some of the lies and not trusted God. The the point is not to condemn you, but actually to save you, to invite you to walk in fuller trust with him, fuller commitment to the truth. And so when Jesus gets up, And he says in our gospel today that he came, he has been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. I'm poor. 
In one way or another, I promise. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. I've been brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captive, I am captive to the lies, as are so many. Recovery of sight to the blind, my wife will tell you I have some blind spots. Thank God she'll tell me too. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Everybody's oppressed in one way or another, even in the most privileged country in the world. My point is what Jesus is saying is that I'm here today in this place. We meet him at the table. We meet him in the word. I am here in this day to change your life. But then I'm going to ask you to go out because you know what? The spirit of the Lord is upon you. Why is the spirit of the Lord upon you? To preach good news to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and my favorite for this year, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And ultimately, at the end of that Esther passage, we get the great principle, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So what have we been talking about all year? Peace and joy. How do you walk in peace and joy? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. It actually requires strength to walk in peace and joy. But if you do that, and you keep your eyes open, and you let the Holy Spirit influence you, then you will begin to act as Jesus acted. You will begin to set people free. So let's end with our collect today. I'll just read it for you in a word of prayer. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ, and proclaim to all people the good news of His salvation that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, Jesus came to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This gives us the confidence to entrust him with our needs and those of the whole world. That the church will be one as God is one. That the world will know that the Father sent Jesus. Lord, in your mercy. That God's people will walk in the fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Lord, in your mercy. That governments will enact laws that promote justice and mercy, especially for the poor and the defenseless. Lord, in your mercy. That missionaries and their families will have God's protection and the church's support to further the kingdom of God. Lord, in your mercy. That we will desire God's word more than any earthly treasure. Lord, in your mercy. That races will lay aside their prejudices and respect one another's differences. Lord, in your mercy. For our own special intentions. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, your word is true and righteous altogether. Hear our prayer and give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to respond to what your word is saying to us. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Peace of the Lord be always with you. With your spirit. Turn and greet your neighbor with the peace.
Well, praise be to God. I, I, I love Jesse's word, and I'm hoping that it will translate into an epiphany for you. Amen. Uh, yeah, right? We, Further ongoing revelation of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen. Amen. Boy, you guys are great today. Any announcements we have, Eric? Yeah, well, they got one chance to uh, kind of deepen their understanding of what God's doing in their life. This is our catechism classes are getting ready to start. So uh, next week, I believe, uh, anyone who is 13 or going to be 13 very soon can come and start catechism class with uh, Father Lewis, I believe, and understand a little bit more about the way we worship, and the things we believe. Okay. Amen. I see an announcement up for a women's meeting. Yes. And a men's, what's that word? <laughs> <laughs> Work <laughs> meeting. So you don't want to miss those. Those, those are always a grand time. Amen. Okay. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I have this confidence because I've seen the faithfulness of God. The still inside the storm, the promise of the shore. I trust the power To seek your kingdom first Beyond the barren place Beyond the ocean
The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. And give thanks to the Lord our God. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death. He called us to the glory that's made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty works, for you've called us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. And so with all the choir of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory, and we join in their unending hymn of praise. your holy indeed the fountain of all holiness let your holy spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy so they may become for us the body and blood of our lord jesus christ before he's given up to death the death he freely accepted he took bread he gave you thanks he broke it and gave it to his disciples and he said take eat this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me When supper was ended, he took the cup again. He gave thanks and praise. He gave it to them, and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant to shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ Christ has died. died. Christ Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread and this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world to make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, and all of our clergy. Remember, especially those who are sick and firmed in spirit, soul, or body. You hold up this day, Connie and Susan and Carl and Serena, 
Naomi, Sonia, Sandra, Karen, Tammy, Maria, Denicia, Mike, the Gamanis family, and Matthew, the Liddy family, our Marines and sailors at Camp Pendleton, and all those who serve us in the armed services. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken. As we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles and the martyrs and all the saints who have gone before us. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours. Almighty God and Father, now and forever. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we have courage to pray. Our Father, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you. Feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. Body of Christ. The blood of Christ.
do that this week. Let's pursue His presence. Eternal God, Heavenly King, Father, You've graciously accepted us as living members of Your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and You have fed us in spiritual food in the sacrament of His body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage 
to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness and the snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking the ruin of our poor souls. <laughs> Remember the gospel. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling, reconciling the world himself, not counting men's sins against him. I know it's unbelievable, isn't it? But it's so true, and it's it's so easy to live it out as we just surrender to him. Praise be to God. Thank you, Lord. God wants to meet every need this week. God wants you to reach out and test him and see if he isn't sure to what he says and what he does. He's so powerful, and he's right here in our midst. Let him leave with you. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you. Remain with you always. Amen. into the world rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. Open.